we are. Um, continuing our study here on, actually we're starting a new study this morning on um, life in the body. And this is going to be a 13-week study. We want to look at what um, the Bible has to say about our responsibility in the local church. Um, and so this morning what I want to do is is cast a vision for you of what it looks like to accomplish this together. We want to start with a, a basic frame, framework of why we need such a series. And then um, in order to do that, um, this class, we have to understand that this class exists because of three simple facts um, that we're going to find throughout the Bible. Two of them kind of go along together. The first is that God has called Christians to live in local churches. You know, God has called Christians to live with Him forever, but for now, we have a responsibility to live within a local church. And the second one goes along with it, and that is that God displays His glory through local churches. That that the primary way in which God exalts Himself in this age is through local churches. And the third one, which doesn't seem to go, is that we are sinners. And um, so, so how could these possibly all work together? You know, God's left us in a local church. He's advancing His name. He's making His name known through, known through these churches. But we're sinners. We're not perfect. And so how, how can these things work together? And um, so the, the question of how that can happen is really the focus of this class. How can God honor His own name through imperfect people like you and me. How can God do that? And uh, so, specifically, we want to talk about our opportunities and responsibilities as church members. How can we as sinners gather together as a local church where unity is supposed to abound? Not the forced kind of unity that you know denies all sorts of differences, we'll hold hands no matter what. Not that sort of unity. It overlooks you know, all truth and everything and so, so that we can come to a common, um, a common agreement. But rather, a unity that preserves the message of the gospel and acts as a compelling testimony to the world around us to the value of, of, of um, God's greatness. How is it that as sinners we can respond to sin in our midst without descending into gossip and slander? How can we trust our leaders but still recognize that they're sinners too? How can we love people who make us feel uncomfortable at times? How can we critique an imperfect church without grumbling? If you've been around church for a long time, you've noticed that these goals are hard and frustratingly difficult to achieve at times. Because too often churches become a place of division and um, and where sometimes unhappy people just abound. And too often churches fail to display the, to the watching world the power of the gospel through the unity that we have around that gospel. And so our goal in this class is to provide a blueprint of what a healthy church ought to look like where sound doctrine expresses itself in love towards God and, and love towards other believers. And so 
my goal for this class is really for that we have two things accomplished. One, one is that we understand what the Bible says about being a healthy church. And two, know what we can do to build a healthy church. Okay, so we want to give some very clear ideas of, of what it looks like to have a healthy church and then how we can get there. And so I want to begin this morning um, by praying and then we'll look at a description of what it means to be a healthy church from Ephesians chapter 3. And then we'll see that unity is essential to that display of God's glory. And then we'll see the benefits of unity in closing. All right, so let me pray and then we'll get into our material this morning. Father, we're thankful that you have ordained from before the foundations of the world that you would glorify yourself through imperfect people like the people in this room, including myself. And we're grateful that you can accomplish your purposes through us and that that we can please you. We can glorify you. And we do that as we uh, work together uh, for the goal of unity, but not just um, just any kind of unity, but unity that pursues purity of truth and purity of life. And so we pray that you would work in us to make us more holy, make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to understand your truth more clearly and to love it and to live it out in this community of believers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, would you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3? And we want to do a, a quick overview of chapters 3 and 4 because I want you to see the beauty of, of this unity that, that is called for. Really, a healthy church is one that pursues unity, but not just any kind of unity. That God's goal for the church is, is very important. Ephesians chapter two or three and four is where Paul lays out his core message of of his ministry, and I'm going to run through this passage here in, in just a couple of minutes. But to give you some context, Paul has spent chapters one and two describing the power of the gospel that that we as Christians were dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet now we are alive, and and we are now reconciled both with God and with each other. So let's pick it up in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 2. If you have indeed heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay, so now what is that mystery? What are you talking about, Paul? Look down at verse 6. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So Paul is excited about the fact that Christianity is not just for Jews, but it's both for Jews and Gentiles alike, that it actually unites people who are otherwise estranged from each other into one body. In fact, as we see in verse 8, Paul sees the revelation of this mystery as central to his ministry and and it is central to the message of the gospel. Look at verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to the Gentiles 
the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And then in verse 10, we get a unique glimpse into God's purpose for this unity. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So, why does God see the church as very important? The church is important to God because it actually reveals His greatness to the the nations and it reveals His greatness to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, what we're going to find out is as we study in in the main service uh, next week, we'll see that those rulers and authority, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, actually refer to demons as well as angels. So, so God's putting on display before all these heavenly creatures, both good and evil. He's, uh, I shouldn't say heavenly creatures, but, but I should say, um, I guess, creatures that exist in the heavens, not in the heaven. But, so both angels and demons, that, that the church is a way that God displays His wisdom, that somehow God shows His greatness through our weakness, that is made strong through God's strength. So that that we, just ordinary, sinful human beings, are somehow transformed into a unified body which is totally otherworldly. I mean, it is not normal for us to come together in unity around a central message like this. And so for the angels and the demons to see this, they just marvel at it and it, 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 it magnifies God's greatness. So this is what we're, we're, we exist for. We exist to display God's glory through this unity. Um, Specifically, the unity that comes between Jews and Gentiles. God is bringing glory to Himself. Paul takes the rest of chapter 3 to lay out the beautiful prayer for the family of God. and We don't have time to get into that. But but in chapter 4, we see Paul applying these these truths to what we have just discussed. Paul begins this section by calling us, verse 1, to live a life worthy of our calling, worthy of the Gospel. Now, now we, we leave aside what, what, um, what the way we used to live. And when we look at chapters 4 and following, we tend to, to look at them in a personal way. Okay? Like, we need to, each of us, you know, uh, take responsibility, put aside our old self, and put on our new self, and, and get put aside anger. And that's true. We do need to do that individually. But actually, Paul's talking about a corporate unity that comes um, when we are all doing this together, that we're all putting aside anger, that we're all helping build one another, one another up with our mouths. And so Paul, while he does have individual holiness, I think, in mind, he has a greater view um, of the church in mind as a whole. Look at verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And then he goes on in the next several verses to talk about how we have one calling and one body and one Lord. Remember, one faith, one baptism, and so on. We're all to be uh, coming together in unity as a church because of these similar um, th- defining characteristics, defining things that are a part of us. 
And what are the goals of these? Look at verses 12 and 13. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, God has gifted us. Although we are, we are one in God, we all have various gifts. We all have various um, responsibilities and opportunities to, to show um, God's grace to other people. But even though we are diverse in all of our gifts, we all have a common goal. And that is, verse 13, to come to a unity of the faith. So there's a lightning run through two chapters of Scripture, and, and the, the, the theme that, that pervades it is unity. And so let's stop for a moment and notice three truths in this passage that are of importance to us this morning. First, the unity of the church is central to the message of the gospel. Okay, this is the way God displays His glory to the lost world, through the message of the gospel, through, through our unity. Second, church unity is what glorifies the wisdom of God. It's not, you know, that, that churches, if you can just stand each other long enough, you know, to hear a sermon each Sunday morning and, and, and just put up with each other long enough to, to, to get through that, then maybe God's going to be able to give people a glimpse into His wisdom. But rather, as we unify ourselves together, there's this powerful display of God's greatness. And, um, and that comes as we pursue this unity. Number three, or third, this unity is our responsibility. It's, it's a responsibility of every church member. When we look at this passage, we don't see that you know, unity is a responsibility of you know, just one group of people in the church or one person in the church. It's actually the responsibility of every church member. He's calling the entire church to pursue the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians 1 and James 2 talk about the same idea, that it's the responsibility, really, of the whole church. And if we damage that, then we're actually doing damage to the, to the, to the reputation of God, the, the, the progress of God's name going forth in, in our area. And so this is not a responsibility just of church leaders. It is a responsibility of them, but also of church members. So God's goal for the church is unity. Why is this the case? Well, because when regenerate sinners with little in common choose to love each other, then this actually displays God's glory. Let's, uh, let's turn to John 13. And I was going to ask just someone to read it, but I think it would be helpful for all of us to see this. John 13. And I still will ask if someone will read this. Verses 34 and 35. All 
Alright, so this idea of unity among believers is not just um, unique to Paul in the book of Ephesians, but Jesus said this in John 13. Then turn over to chapter 17. You know, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 17, would someone read verse 23? This is Jesus praying. Go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, so Jesus is praying, verse 22, the glory which you've given to me, I've given to them. And so I pray that they're unified in me and I, just as I am unified in you, Father, And so, when they're unified in me and with each other, then, look at the middle part of the verse, so that the world may know that you sent me. It's not that God receives glory as as they see what great people we are, but it actually deflects the praise and the honor to Christ. As we are unified in Christ, Christ is glorified before the world. And then turn over to Acts chapter 4. Luke's description of the early church is found in verses 32 and 33. Someone read those. Acts 4, 32, 33. Is that chapter 4, verse 32? That's okay. You want to try that again? And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. All right. So what we don't want to hear from this is that you know, just our actions are going to bring people to Christ. But certainly it lends credibility to the message of the gospel when we are living in unity. In this case, they're they're giving things to one another in order to help their needs. And when they do that, they actually display the beauty of the gospel. Verse 33, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the abundant grace was upon them all. The fact is that unity among God's people is not an optional addition to our salvation. You know, God saved me for me so that I could be freed from my sin and that I could go to eternity. But actually, God saved us for another purpose. That that is part of it. But He saved us to be a part of a community of believers where we can operate with one another who, who in many cases are unlike us and different from us and are quirky at times, right? We all are. We all have our quirks and it's hard for us to get along apart from our common bond of the Gospel. Remember how starkly John put it in 1 John 4.20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
So if you claim to love God, but you don't love another believer, you know what Jesus said? Anybody can love a person who loves them back. That's easy to do. Even unbelievers do that. But the real test, the real evidence, maybe a better way to put it, the real evidence of whether we are believers is if we can love other people who don't love us back or who are unlovely. And I hate to break it to you, but as we operate with one another within a local church, we are unlovely at times. We don't treat people the way we ought to treat them all the time. And so when we commune ourselves with those people who are at times unlovely, we give evidence of whether we are truly a believer. And just lost my... Okay. We'll get to that in a second. Um, So, God's purpose for us as Christians is to know His power, to proclaim His wisdom, to identify us as His own. And this is accomplished primarily through not Lone Ranger Christians, but through corporate bodies of believers. And when I say that, I mean there are multiple local churches. So he does it through the corporate body of believers within a local place. And that's why you have all these word pictures of the church throughout the Bible, that that we are living stones within a building, that we are the body of Christ, we're members of that body, we each contribute to the needs of the body. See, there's nothing about us just kind of going off on our own and and it's okay for us to live our Christian lives like that. No, it's supposed to be done within a corporate body of believers. And that's why this topic is so important to our understanding and is so important to God's display of His own glory. Because God doesn't primarily display His greatness through individual Christians. Okay? You know, you know. sometimes we read biographies and we think, wow, God must have been really glorified through this one you know, person who, who turned out to be a martyr or whatever the case. And He can receive glory through that. But the primary way in which He receives glory is through churches. It's through the establishment of churches, through the unity of churches. And um, so... So, now that we've seen a little bit of what it looks like in practice, we're going to define what unity is. And in order to do that, we'll look at the opposite, what unity is not. But before I do that, do you have any questions or comments on what we've talked about so far? Wow. Mark. Oh, okay. All right. Anybody else? Okay. What unity is not? Okay, so we can talk about unity, and unity is easy to talk about, but it's hard to put into practice, isn't it? Because the concept of unity actually has become quite divisive over the last hundred years. I mean, if you talk to someone else on the street, maybe even a nominal Christian, talk to them about what they think unity is, and you'll get a very different picture of what the Scriptures say or what you believe the unity is. Some people 
define Christianity as, you know, the idea that all people who call themselves Christians should organize better, okay, or at least cooperate as a single body. And, and so they say all people who call themselves Christians, well, we know that Catholics actually call themselves Christians too, right? And so what they say is that Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals, you know, theological liberals, anybody who calls themselves a Christians, Christians should unite in some way because this is what Paul is calling us to do. And when they say that, when they look at it in that way, they actually they they actually misrepresent what God was was looking for. Um, and the difficult the difficulty in thinking about unity is that in that way is that the goal of that unity is actually wrong. Okay, think about that if we if we associate or we um, come to unity together with people who who call themselves Christians, what kind of goal are we, we going to have? Well, we're not going to have the same goal as what the Scriptures call us to have, right? We can't have a goal for pure message of the Gospel, can we? Um, instead, we're going to have to have lesser goals. And what Paul is saying is not just to have organizational unity for the sake of organizational unity. I mean, that's quite meaningless. I mean, what's the point of that? It's... it's um, it's certainly good to cooperate with a common goal, you know, maybe working with Roman Catholics to protect the right of the unborn, but, but that is a type of unity, but that's not what Paul is calling for. Okay, what Paul is calling for, what he's, he's uh, speaking on behalf of God and telling us is that our unity must be around the gospel, about the truth of the scriptures. And... Um, Sometimes what happens, okay, so that's one extreme, is, is this ecumenism, where we just, it leads to compromise, that we have to give up all the, the great truths of the gospel in order to hold hands with these people who may call themselves Christians, but most likely are not based on, right, they can't be based on what they say they believe. Now, the other extreme is, okay, so that's the hand-holding hand side. The other extreme is, is um, this exclusionism, or isolationism, where we say, well, I'm sorry, we really have to be unified in this, and so we, we make the circle so tight of who we're going to associate with that we're not really unifying with anybody except for people who have exactly the same ideas. And sometimes we go so far to the extreme in, in, in these kinds of things, like detailed rules of living, you know, and we get down to the very nitty-gritty of what... And sometimes that can be helpful within a local body because we are going to be, in one sense, living with one another in a corporate body. But between those two is really the ideal. That the church should neither compromise nor be so seeking of division or this soul unity that it, that it um that actually harms the gospel instead what we want to do is is find what's in the middle and and I think Paul helps us here um by by helping us see that there is an action a purpose a source and a place okay so with biblical unity the action is love for other christians okay remember what Jesus said if you say you love god and you don't love other believers, 
then you're a liar. That's what John said in 1 John 4.20. Then you're a liar. So here's the goal of what Paul is calling for in unity, and that is to love other Christians. Next, the purpose is the glory of God. It's God's glory and the vindication of the gospel. God's glory and the vindication of the gospel. He is showing that the gospel is true, that my message is true. Here's how I'm going to show the watching world and the demons and the angels that my message is true. And the way that I'm going to do it is through the unity of Christians. And so we have a goal. So again, back to this side over here. If we just hold everybody's hands, we're not going for this purpose, are we? We're not going to vindicate the gospel. Instead, we have to kind of, you know, get rid of all those the, the justification by faith alone in Christ alone. We have to get rid of that in order to hold hands with these. So that's not what Paul's calling for. It has a genuine purpose that goes towards the purity of the gospel. Third, the source is the love of Christ. We love Him, First John says, because what? He first loved us. It is something that is supernatural. It can only be explained by the power of God. When, when the angels and demons watch and when the watching world looks on and sees the love that we have for God and for other believers, then all they can say is, that is not normal. That is supernatural. And so this is what we're, we're looking to do, is to love uh, in an otherworldly way. And this glorifies God by, by showing other people and, and even the heavenly beings the wisdom of the gospel. Do you remember Jesus' words in Luke 7? He who has been forgiven little loves little, and he who has been forgiven much loves much. You see, if if at any point in this series of classes it becomes just a list of do's and don'ts, you know, things that you know you ought to do and probably can do if you really just grit your teeth hard enough, then we're headed in the wrong direct direction. Okay? This unity that, that we're interested in, that, that the Scriptures are calling us to, is really supernatural and it has its source and the love that Christ has for us. So as we start to understand, or I should say, as we continue to understand Christ's love for us more and more, you know, don't you, under, don't you recognize Christ's love for you more now than when you first believed? Isn't it amazing how much Christ loves you and He has loved you, but you didn't understand it as well as you do now, right? And so we continue to learn Christ's love more and more, and as we do, it results in our willing service to other people, our willing love to other people. It's not a grit your teeth like, man, i got to go love these people again. Sometimes it does come down to that. And that's actually better than the alternative in many cases. But, but ultimately, it should be rooted in Christ's great love for us, and we can't help but love other people. Because we know, even if they are unlovely, we know that's how we are to Christ. It's not just how we were to Christ, how we are to Christ often um, because of our, our sin, our, our prevailing sin at times. And so we're not seeking for a, um, you know, some sort of forced love on other people, but rather um, 
a spirit-driven love that comes from the love of Christ. The place is the local church where this happens. Okay, Remember 1 John 4.20 again. If you say you love God and you don't love your brother whom you have seen, talking about a Christian brother there, Christian brother or sister in Christ, then, then you are a liar. Okay, so this has to happen within the context of other believers. That's why I, I keep saying there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian where someone just kind of goes off on their own. The real evidence of their faith is within a body of believers. And so these four pieces are the definitions definition that you see on, on the handout there. Um, let's see, I guess I don't have it on, on the screen up here, but yeah, it's, it's there in bold and underlined for you. Not bold, but underlined. God-glorifying, gospel-revealing love for all brothers and sisters in Christ, fueled by our forgiveness in Christ that expresses itself most clearly in the assembly of the local church. Okay, so very memorable, easy, easy to, to think about. Not really, but this is Christianity. God's plan is to reveal His wisdom through His people and to all peoples. And so this is a huge goal. This is a huge goal that God has for us. And so we need to, to take some time and look at the context for the rest of our class of discussing what we need to watch out for as we seek to protect this unity. All right, because what Paul or, or what Luke informs us, actually it is the Apostle Paul talking in Acts chapter 20, where he says, you know, watch out for yourselves. Because there are going to be savage wolves who come into your midst and, and they're going to turn people away from the truth. And so you need to watch out for these. So what are some ways, help me out here, in which Christians tend to damage Christian unity? What, what are some ways in which we in this church are in danger of damaging our unity? What, what kind of things do, we'll just say churches in general, do in damaging Christian unity? And what kind of things do we need to protect ourselves against in our church? Legalism. Legalism. Okay, so that's back to the list thing that you can't be a Christian unless you follow these rules that I've set up in my mind even though they're not in the Scriptures. Okay, so that's going beyond what God has said. Sarah? Okay, gossip. I was going to say good, but no, it's not good. (laughs) That was a good answer. That's what I meant. Okay, criticism. Um, I would I would say it this way: cynicism. Okay, because criticism can actually be helpful. Um, I hope that when someone comes to us and says, "Listen, the way that you're teaching or the way that you're, you, you know, doing whatever is is not actually helping the body of Christ," and so um, I would hope that as Christians that we would welcome that. We'd want people to to point out some of those things. But sometimes we can be cynical in it and just kind of like, you know, the judges on these reality shows that are just kind of like looking for every little point of, of disagreement and, and really just wanting to tear us down. Sandra? All right. Jealousy. All right. So we could list a lot more, but, but we, we do have a few more minutes. So I want to get to this benefits of unity. All right. The benefits of unity. So... 
Those are some things to watch out for. We'll discuss more of those throughout the weeks here coming. Um, but before we conclude, I want to shift our attention to exploring the benefits that unity brings to the local congregation. And I wa- as I walk th- through these, I want you to keep two questions in mind. Number one, do you see this particular benefit in our church as a whole? Do you see this particular benefit in our church? And then number two, are your relationships with members of this church structured in such a way that this benefit that we're going to talk about helps some other people, helps yourself and helps other people? So do you see this in the church? And then do you see you you personally helping other people with, with these benefits of unity? Number one, assurance of salvation. 1 John 3, 14 we read, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. We will know by this that we are the truth and will assure our heart before Him. And whatever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. John here is writing about the importance of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we look at our relationship with other believers... Then, and, and we start to see unity rather than discord and strife, then it should encourage us about our walk with God, our standing before God. Okay, now, now, understand me here. This is not a way in which you get to God. This is not the means by which you get to God. But this is the evidence. When you start to see your love for other believers expressed very clearly in people who are sometimes unlovely, then then that starts to give you evidence of your assurance of salvation. So, do you see that in in your your life? Do you are you are you um, seeing yourself doing things for the sake of other believers? It's one of the ways that you can have assurance of your salvation. Secondly, encouragement. Encouragement. The author of Hebrews writes and. Hebrews 10, 23-25, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our responsibility is to hold unswervingly to the Gospel, and then the writer of Hebrews goes on and shows us how we do that. We do that by considering how to stimulate other people toward love and good works. And we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We attend. Okay, We attend regularly. We're, we're at the services so that we can be encouraging people. See, our life together as a church is important because... God has not designed us to be completely self-motivating. We do need to be Christians who are self-motivated, but, but actually God's designed us to be inside of another body of believers who help encourage us, to help promote in us, stimulate us. That's what the text says, stimulate us to love and good works. So that, that means that we need other people. We need to be a part of a local church so that we can be stimulated and that we can be encouraged to be a part um, of a local church attending regularly. Number three, orthodoxy. Third benefit of unifying yourself with the body of believers is orthodoxy. 
Um, the impact of Ephesians chapter four. We we talked about you know we're pursuing this pursuit, pursuing this unity, and the impact is this. If you're still there in Ephesians four, I'm looking at verse fourteen. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The, the reason that our pursuits of unity... Okay, when I say our, I mean Christendom as a whole. Our pursuits of unity are often uh, criticized is because we, we usually sacrifice orthodoxy. But actually what Paul says is when we pursue proper unity, that it actually promotes orthodoxy. It, it upholds the truth of the Scripture. When we're coming together as a body of believers in unity, then we are seeking to uphold the truth of the Scripture. So in that sense, unity actually protects or preserves our doctrine. Remember Paul said in, I think it's 2 Timothy 3.15, it is the church who is the pillar and support of the truth. Not the pastor, not the creed, not the do- those things are all helpful and important, but, but it is the church as a whole who preserves who is the pillar and support of the truth. They uphold the truth of God's Word. And then, the fourth benefit of unity is evangelism. John 17, John 17, 20. Jesus is praying again here. Will someone read verses 20 through 23? How about chapter 17, verses 20 to 23? All right, so a couple times in there that the world may believe that you sent me, verses 21 and 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. It's through the church's unity that non-Christians recognize the divinity of Christ and His divine mission. So, you know, a lot of times we think about personal evangelism. Me, I walk to this person, I tell them about Christ, and we ought to be doing that. But one of the ways that one of the things that gives credibility to the gospel message that you're telling them in person and you ought to be is them seeing the church 
in its unity, seeing the love that you have for other believers in action, that that we as a church, you know, sometimes we think of evangelism as if I invite someone to church, and and that can be helpful, but but again, it's it's a combination I think of those things. It is seeing them see us love one another in a non-plastic way and also giving them the actual message. Giving them the actual message. They have to hear the Word if they're going to respond. And so that means that we as Christians individually have a responsibility for evangelism, but our church as a whole has a responsibility for evangelism. And we'll be talking about how we can do that more carefully in the next couple of weeks. Well, there are lots of other benefits of unity that we could talk about, like, you know, that it, it helps us to pray for one another. If we're unified together, we're going to be praying for one another more seriously. Um, we're far more able to hold each other accountable when we're unified, even when there's uh, responsibilities for our church to discipline a person, then unity is going to help that and not harm it. It's not going to, you know, tear us apart. And um, so there's lots that we could we could say about that. But in closing, this is a class about unity, and that it's essential to preserve preserving the gospel witness in this local community of Royal Oak and the surrounding area. And it's a it's a unity that celebrates God's pure message of the gospel. And so over the next 12 weeks, we'll be thinking practically about how we can build a church whose unity proclaims and protects this life-changing message of the Gospel. And um, I hope it will increase your love for this church. It will help you to see what it looks like to have a healthy church, and it will help you to see what we need to do, individually and corporately, to build that church. Any thoughts in closing for a quick comment or question? Alright, next week we want to talk about church membership and uh, why it's so important to um, to our life as a body. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the institution of the local church, the primary place in which You display Your glory. And we're thankful that You have displayed Your glory through this body of believers. Thankful for the great steps of faith that have taken place over the years and over the decades. And we want to see that continue and grow, and we want to see Your name known in an even greater way in this area. Lord, help us to love one another as Christ loves us. May, may our love for one another be sourced in, in that love that, that He has for us. And may we be motivated to serve one another and be united around the truth of the Gospel because of, of Your... Um, your, this, these responsibilities that You have given to us. And may the result be that we are unified together around one single purpose and displaying Your glory in a greater way than we have before, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Whoops. I got a new toy here. This is a, this is a Lenovo. Um, it's like the, the tablet also. And, uh, so I'm still getting used to it. Yeah, I still got to get all my stuff transferred over. Like, um, 